Welcome to another episode of Sunscrap Nation's podcast. Your host, as always, Daniel Jonas, here on Thursday, September 23rd, 2021, Charlotte, North Carolina. It's about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, nice and cool, turning to fall weather. Today is literally the first day of fall, at least it feels like it. I don't know if it's literally the first day of fall, but it definitely woke up this morning at like 68 degrees, so fall. Um... Today we're going to go over what's been going on in the UFC world. We're going to break down UFC 266, 266. Um, Volkanovski versus Ortega, Valentina Shevchenko versus Lauren Murphy, and Nick Diaz versus Robbie Lawler too. We're going to talk about what happened this past weekend, at least with Ryan Spann and Anthony Smith. And that's about it. Like I said, we'll probably get into a little bit of what's going on because uh, even in the boxing front, there's been a little bit of drama. So things to cover. I've got a couple minutes with y'all. And um, yeah, so let's get to it. Remember, com for everything and anything else. All right, here we go. So last weekend, we had Ryan Spann versus Anthony Smith. Um, Ryan Spann... I had win, going to win that fight. Reason being is just he's on a streak. He's full of confidence, bigger, stronger, faster. Anthony Smith surprised the shit out of me, went out there and dropped Ryan Spann, um, believes in his power now. I, Anthony Smith's always had power, but you mostly saw it when people rushed in, Hector Lumbar, Rashad Evans, Shogun. It was all these fighters coming forward. So it's not that he didn't have power. It just was... It wasn't. It wasn't power that he was imposing. It was more people dying on their sword. Anthony Smith this time stepped forward on a jab and a hook, and every shot hurt Ryan Span, and that was the difference. Ryan did come forward, and that's what set up some strikes. But at, at the end, when it was the final strike, the jab that touched the chin and like got them all on weird legs, chicken legs, allowed. Anthony Smith to overwhelm him, get his back, and choke him out. All that was set up by that jab. He stepped to Ryan Spann's open side, blasted the left hand right at the chin, and sat down on the punch. I think it's a new improved Anthony Smith. He called out Rakic right after it, Alexander Rakic, who he lost to. In a very like underwhelming performance by Anthony Smith, and I think this time going in, if he's got the confidence, the ability to sit down on power, um, it makes the fight a little bit more exciting to me, especially with Anthony Smith's submission ability. I mean, his his submission and his ground game was on full display against Ryan Spann. It just showed his experience and level discrepancy on the ground. Right once he gets them there. And I think he can expose that in Alexander Rakic, but he has to get past the power and the the athleticism of that soccer player, former soccer player. All right. So, congrats to Anthony Smith. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. It's good to see him, you know, keeping the win streak going and, you know, keep me keep breaking another guy's win streak, you know, especially an up and comer. 
So before we go ahead and break 266, the other fight I want to comment on was Romero's debut at Bellator, lackluster. I didn't watch the fight. I heard that it was very Israel Adesanya reminiscent. Romero gets old. They all get older. Phil Davis, older. They spend their prime in the UFC. I mean, they're not going to be as explosive as once before. And I'll get into it when we talk about the Nick Diaz and the, the Robbie Lawler fight. It's just Romero is not Romero of past. So when you watch him, it's like you can't ever expect him to be Romero ten, eight years ago. It's a long time. I mean, he'll always be scary and he can kill half, I mean, majority of the population, if not 98% of it. Um, when it's under those lights and it's a combat, you know, it's an entertainment centered, sports centered focus. Yeah. I mean, his, his fighting style is he either knocks you out or you get pointed. And the biggest concern of his was he let more takedowns happen in this fight. Than he did in all of his UFC fights. That being said, he fought at light heavyweight in this fight. Phil Davis is a collegiate wrestler, and he's he's let takedowns happen on him against guys at 185. But when you're at 205, even I mean, just that added weight change is going to allow Phil Davis to be a little bit of a bigger guy and muscle his way to those takedowns. Does that mean it's the end of Yoel Romero? No, like I said, he's got the ability to just like explode and knock anyone out. But do we want to keep like praying for it? Mm, not really. I think we should just like move on as far as uh, expecting that same kind of shit, you know, the third round knockouts and all that. All right. So, any news? Uh, McGregor doesn't throw baseball well. Shit, man, I probably wouldn't have thrown a baseball well. I can't really comment on that. Um, oh, Canelo and Caleb Plant. I don't know what was said in the face-off, but my man, Caleb Plant, going for a left, left hook slap, a little Stockton slap on Canelo after he pushed him. Canelo... Vintage Canelo fashion, lean back, left hook to the head, and cut Caleb Plant. I don't know if the fight's off or whatever, or pushed back because of the cut. Who knows? Canelo said, don't talk about my mother. Now, I heard Caleb Plant call him a motherfucker. I don't know if that's, like, not translatable. I don't know if he... I'm sure Canelo understands context, but maybe Caleb was saying some... You know, things about his mom. Who knows? But just from that exchange, I mean, 10-9, Canelo. And, you know, people have a lot of faith in Caleb Plant going into this fight. But, I don't know, Caleb Plant kind of just seems like the, the Billy Joe Saunders for the United States. He's very nice. He's flashy. He's got... Good head movement. He moves well. But Canelo different. Canelo one of the best. So I'm and I'm still excited. I, man, I'm excited to see the fight. 
Uh, Anthony Joshua versus Ole- uh, Alexander Usyk. Alexander Usyk this weekend. Big, big state stakes in the heavyweight division. You know, whoever wins this definitely gets the winner of Wilder Fury 3. So, it's also it's also a weird fight because, I, uh, dude, I think Usyk wins. But that's just because I think his footwork is incredible and I think it's just like the Cyril gone Tom Aspinall effect where it's a guy who he may be undersized, but I think the way he moves, it's not just a guy going in there who fundamentally, like Anthony Joshua, moves very well, but is also a little bit heavier or a little bit lighter. I think it's a guy with a X factor in this unique footwork, speed, which relies on speed. And then when you add those together in a weird combat equation... I think it equals a lot of trouble and a lot of problems for heavyweights who, I'm not saying Anthony Joshua just is a big power puncher, but he's a very fundamental fighter. So not only is he faster, everyone can deal with a faster person, but he's faster and he's got this odd footwork. So now you're trying to read something that's going a little bit faster than you're used to, making your brain work over time. And then on top of that, you're making it work over time to read patterns that you're not used to. And I think just in that, um, it, it'll show. I think the only person in the heavyweight division that in boxing that like would embrace a fight like that would be Tyson Fury because of his his uniqueness. I think he goes in there fighting to have fun. Yusuf goes in there to have fun. Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder, um, even. Andy Ruiz, like these guys are going in there as boxers to box and knock the head off. But I think the elusiveness and the fleet of foot, as much as it is not a glass cannon, but it does have its faults. I mean, Tyson Fury got knocked to another realm. Um, I'm not saying Anthony Usyk hasn't ever been hit before, but there's a chance that any of these guys can hit you and knock you out. But when you just have to worry about the big bomb, it's a lot, it's a lot easier of a game plan than having to work up, worry about like foot positioning of this guy and his ability to do all these different things. So I love the, I love the matchup. I think it's a coming out party for Usyk. Um, I mean, Anthony Joshua's good, but I just, I've never been real high on him. I know, I mean, high in the sense of like, yeah, obviously I think he's championship caliber went against Klitschko got knocked down got back up went on to win championship I just think a guy like Tyson Fury beats him I even think Wilder actually I'd go Anthony Joshua I think I think I think Anthony Joshua would be Wilder but I think Tyson Fury beats Joshua um anyway going on going on Plus, Usyk and Fury, to me, is a way more interesting fight than all those matchups together. Um, turns out Dylan Dennis isn't good at jiu-jitsu. That's about it on that one. Okay. 
Okie dokie. Let's go ahead and get to breaking down these fights. John Jones has tried to hit 275. It's crazy. He's 260 pounds, 260 muscle strong. His goal is 275. I mean, he can do it. Listen, everyone wants all these NFL players, NFL football players to come to the UFC and start fighting. Listen, man, we already got that. We got that in John Jones. If you're waiting for something that's already here, like, you're just not appreciating a guy because you're letting these little other things cloud your ability to appreciate the greatest of all time. Yes, he had his things outside the UFC. Okay, but just appreciate him for those 30 to 15 minutes every time you watch him and then come back to me and go, oh, yeah, we already kind of have the whole football thing going on. Okay, so let's talk about why you guys are here to listen to the breakdowns. Got some constructive criticism about the the podcast, and I'm going to do my best on breaking down these uh, random fights in the <laughs> beginning. Um but all jokes aside, uh, well, uh, what was I going to say? All jokes aside, da, 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 whatever. Anyway, I'm going to break down these fights. Um, oh, SouthernScrapNation.com if you want to hear other breakdowns and SouthernScrapNation.com for anything else. My breakdowns are going to be good analysis of what could potentially happen between these two fighters and what their game plans are most likely going to be for the other person. I'll then give my prediction of who's going to win. I have no stake in either of these, but I know people like to bet. So I'm going to, I'll play more to, when I predict it, I'll, I'll bet more on like, I'll talk more if you should put money underdog or favorite. Because people like to bet. I, I want to bet on these fights. But, man, fighting is so 50-50 that if I was just like, hey, guys, it's going to be 50-50 for every one of these fights. No one would enjoy this podcast. And um, no one would even ever come to me and ask me, who do you think is going to win this weekend? If I was just like, every time, 50-50, guys, it's 50. Because realistically, it fucking is. But it's not fun. It's not fun to talk about like that. Oh, God, yeah, it's 50 50. Yeah, it's not fun. Uh, dude, pick someone and die on that hill. That's way more. That's what people want to hear. All right. <clears throat> that being said, prelims. Let's break them down. So we starting off the prelims on eight, at 8 o'clock at the T-Mobile Arena, ESPN Plus, on September 25th, 2022, or 21. And it's going to be in Las Vegas. We got Roxy Amataferi versus Talia Santos. I like Roxy. She's a bit older on the whole just fighting and, you know, yeah, fighting. See, she's been fighting professionally since 2013 in the UFC. She's been fighting even longer than that. Her style is coming forward, taking you down, using her jiu-jitsu. I'm a huge fan of hers and her 
you know, what she likes. She's a huge anime fan. I'm a huge fan of that. So I'll always, I'll always root for her. Um, she's personification of just hardworking, getting to where she, where she is. Vegas fighter, so it helps her a whole lot. It's easy for her. She can just go ahead and fight at home. Uh, her last fight was against Vivian Arujo. Um, you know, she just got outstruck, out taken down. Vivian's also uh, up and comer, but now she's got this fight with Talia Santos, who's also seventeen and one Brazilian fighter. Her last fight was Jillian Robinson and then Molly McCann, both defi- decisions. It kind of seems like they're they're feeding Roxanne to her in a way to build her up because you look at the people that, I mean, Molly more, um, but you look at the people that they've been given more like, uh, UFC vets, um, allowing her to build her ranks. And then eventually from Roxanne, probably move on to the top 15, top 10, five, one. She's a blue belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. So striker, um, Let's see. I wouldn't mind putting money on Roxy on this fight because she is a heavy underdog. But if you're telling me that Talia Santos is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu blue belt, you just need Roxy to take, like, to be able to weather the storm, get her hands around her, and start working the groundwork. And I feel like that's her, and Roxy's coming off of a loss. It's not like she's coming off of multiple losses, but she's coming off of a loss. Um, and she's a type of fighter who she'll lose, win, lose one, win one, lose one, win one. You know, lost against Jennifer Maya, won against Antonina, or won against Antonina Shevchenko, lost against Jennifer Maya, won against Macy Barber, lost against Lauren Murphy, and look where Lauren Murphy is now. Won against Angela Lee, lost against Vivian Rougeau. Put your money on uh, Roxy. The happy warrior. I just think the, I think the, like I said, the tenacity and just ground, like fight, make it a fight. I think making it a fight is going to be an eye opener for Talia Santos. I think she will break. Her. I think she will break her. All right, heavyweight Shamil Ak- Abdurmahimov versus Chris Dawkins. <clears throat> Another lamb out the slaughter. Chris Dawkins has these nice-ass hands. I think he gets to win easy. I think he knocks out Shamil Abdurmahimov. Abdurmahimov. I mean, he's 40. I mean, he's got a chin, obviously, but if Curtis Blades knocked him out, yeah, I think Chris Dawkins' first-round knockout. Move on! That one was easy. Yeah, Chris Dawkins is also the favorite, so... Then you got Dan Hooker versus Nasrat Happersat. I think one guy is going to punch the other guy, and then the other guy might kick the other guy. And that's about it. Uh, that's, all right, next one. All right, Marlon Rice versus Marab Dejvalashvili. I think in this one, the, the takedown tenacity of Marab is going to cause Marlon a lot of problems, but why would Marlon take this fight unless he kind of saw I'm just kidding. We're going to go back to the Dan Hooker Nasrat Happersat fight. You know your fucking mind? When... <laughs> got your ass. I fucking got your ass. Um, Dan Hooker, Nasrat, both going through extreme stress, getting the visa. Nasrat also had his mom die recently. 
That's a huge, 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 huge thing to go through in camp. Dan Hooker um, going through camp just to have all this shit going on during camp in Australia and New Zealand. Um, they're breaking into or the cops are crashing the they're crashing their sessions and da 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 da. And then he had to get v, he had to tweet the the U.S. embassy because he just wasn't getting his visa and he's gonna have to fly. He flew yesterday. He flew tonight. He th- flew Thursday night New Zealand time and he's gonna get there tonight, Las Vegas time. Weigh in tomorrow. Fight Saturday. Stress. He lost his last fight. Stress. Because of the same kind of issues. Because he was going to have to leave, go quarantine, not be able to see his family for two weeks. He's probably going to have to do the same fucking thing. He's probably going to have to leave Sunday as well. He's probably not going to be able to celebrate at all. Um, and then Nasrat on the other side is kind of doing it kind of in the same boat. On top of that, had his um, the whole thing with his mom. Izzy's Izzy is very high on Dan winning this fight. I kind of like Dan winning this fight because he he's, as Izzy points, is a psychopath. But there might be something about the death of Nasrat's mom that that like pushes him. If not. Fucks him completely. His only loss recently has been to Drew Dober, and his last two wins. Um, this is a huge step up in competition. Drew Dober was a step up in competition. Dan Hooker, this is even a higher step up in competition. And Dan's coming off of that loss to Michael Chandler. I think if Dan is coming in with that, like kill mindset knee knee knockout hell yeah knee knockout but if nap nasrat really channels the death of his mom like she's looking above him and you know really looks in the mirror huge chance connects with that right hand because what michael chandler caught dan hooker with was just cold he caught him cold on his back feet didn't allow him to set his feet and throw kicks or check hooks or anything body head boom boom and Nasrat's got those kinds of hands where he can fake low, go high, easy. If Kelvin, if Kelvin Gaslam can do it, Nasrat Happersat can. And he's got the body type to throw heavy hands. Kind of a kryptonite to a tall, lanky fighter. I'm interested. I think Dan Hooker wins. I like knees up the middle. I'll always vote for knees up the middle when it comes to Dan Hooker versus anyone shorter than he is. Um, but it's 50-50, guys. Uh, anyway. So Marlon Moraes versus Marab. I think the I think the aggressive takedown game of Marab is gonna help Marlon or is gonna help him. If you look at what Henry Cejudo did to Marlon Moraes, that's exactly what you're trying to um you're trying to replicate with Marab. You're trying to push forward, I mean, head first essentially. Quote unquote headbutt him. Not really headbutt him, but Lead with your fucking head. And if you headbutt him, that's his problem. Takedowns. Hands. Takedowns. I think it's going to be very hard to beat Marab. I don't know why Marlon thinks this is the right fight, but I, I think you're going to see... 
they're going to see, yeah, you're going to see like essentially four in a row, four losses in a row. Marab is just too, he's too much. He's too much for a, a guy that needs space, that needs like room to explode. But if Marab's on your ass and he's constantly making you guess, I think there's a terrible matchup for Marlon Marais. Marab's coming off of a win over Cody Staneman. His only loss was to uh, Ricky Simone, right? Yeah. And Frankie Sands. So, yeah, I think. And plus the, the, the Georgian thing. The Georgian thing. It's a different game, my friend. Different game. Different game. I really like Marab on that one. Let's see the. Yeah, Marais is the favorite. It's kind of close to that. Uh, that's not as close. Never mind. That's kind of close. All right. So in the main in the main card, we're gonna break down. We got Jessica Andrade versus Cynthia Cavillo. Um, Jessica Andrade coming off of a loss to the champ, getting just crucifixed and beaten down, top crucifix and just. Jessica Andrade is always that scary thing in the corner waiting. She's young, too. She's only 29. Damn, Cynthia Cavillo is older than Jessica Andrade. Cynthia Cavillo is coming off of a loss to Caitlin Chukagian. There's not a lot of MMA math here, but I'm going to put my money on Jessica Andrade always. Always put my money on her. She hits hard enough to knock out 135ers, hard enough to starch 125ers, one or 115ers, and 125 is perfect. She can do best of both worlds. And she feels competitive in that weight class. She's 21 and 9. Her only real losses have been to championship-level opponents. Um, other than that, she is a champion. And I think Cynthia Calvillo is going to try her best. But I, I think the relentlessness of Jessica Andrade and the hype of the situation, I think we're getting vintage knockout, either body shot, Something I just, it's going to be, I, I feel like, not that she's going to lit, like she'll toss or out strike or whatever. I just think the brutality is going to be a little bit too much. And the quickness, to be honest, Jessica is younger. She's going to be faster. Um, And the experience at all. I mean, it'd be crazy to me if, yeah, Cynthia Cavillo is even the favorite. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cynthia Calvillo's been fighting for a while, too. I mean, what she could do is just pressure. Put Jessica on the back. Use her jab. Keep her at range. Fake level changes. Um, pressure her. Get on top. Be bigger. I just don't see that happening. I feel like only certain people can do that. Fucking Valentina Shevchenko, you know? Even Rose, she won, but... me. She tried to stay. She tried to flick her jab out and keep at range, right? And even she took a. And she's way faster than Cynthia Cavillo. And even she took lumps, you know. JJ took lumps. So out out grappling Jessica is going to be your best option. I just think the like I said the inside shots and stuff are just going to be too much. All right. So then you have Curtis Blades versus Jarzinho Rosenstrike. I hate that I have to break this down. I just think we get vintage Curtis Blades. I think um, 
Jarzinho thinks the uppercut's going to be there. I don't think the uppercut's going to be there. The best lesson maker was that uppercut from Derek Lewis. I think <clears throat> we either get a knockout <clears throat> from Curtis Blades <clears throat> or just <clears throat> overwhelming ground and pound. Um, Jarzinho's coming off of a loss to Ciro Gone, where he, or no, he coming off that win to Augusta Sakai. That's right. He knocked out Augusta Sakai and like with a one, with one second left in the fifth, in the first round. I just think when it gets to this wrestler, yeah, I think he just gets out wrestled. Best example that did that to him? No one. No one's done it yet, but, um, yeah, I think Curtis Blades. Well, you know what? Really good strikers have been Curtis Blades' downfall. Um, yeah, I guess Curtis Blades is probably your safest option. Control, when it comes to betting and fighting that I've realized recently, whoever's got better control is most likely going to win the fight. I mean, not that I've noticed this recently, but, and, I mean, it's, it gets phrased as, like, whoever's got better wrestling usually wins. Better control. Whoever's really better, who's ever better at controlling fights, um, typically wins. Uh, Curtis Blades is better at controlling fights. Um, Derek Lewis is better at not letting people play the game of controlling fights. That's why MMA doesn't work on him. Jarzinho Rosenstrike, he'll he'll let people control him. Not control him, but like he doesn't he he like he rushed right. He lost game plan. Um. Or he lost game plan. He tried to kickbox when Nganu rushed him, right? Takedown. All right. Derek Lewis, when people, that's why Nganu doesn't rush Derek Lewis. Because Derek Lewis will just take you down, too. Like, he, he doesn't play, he fights, he doesn't play the whole striking, he doesn't play a combat thing, he fights. So I think Curtis Blades is just gonna do whatever he wants. As far as wrestling goes. If he tries to strike with Jarzino, there's a chance. Um, but there's also a chance that Curtis fakes a, fakes a takedown and comes over top. Or even uppercuts Jarzino. All right. And now in the fight that we've all been wanting to talk about, Nick Diaz versus Robbie Lawler 2. Um, this is the people's main event. This is the fighter's main event. Nick's making his return after six years. Um... I think after six years, it's been a benefit to him physically and mentally. He was saying it wasn't so good coming back and watching his brother, so mentally, maybe not so much. But physically, I bet it's been great for his body. He's been 100% to triathlons and, you know, being healthy, not getting punched in the face as much, teaching jujitsu, taking a break. Robbie's been in fucking wars since the first time they fought. But Robbie also still hasn't had, I mean, he's had, he's had time. Like, he's had, uh, not luxuries, but he's living a comfortable life right now. 
but he's he's never left the combat mode. And Nick left combat mode for like six years, and now he's coming back. And he said something really sad. He goes, I wanted to leave this, but the sponsorships, the people in my corner, everybody, they they want me to do this, and this is all I know. And they pay me to do this, which is fucked up, man. These sponsorships should be paying you to, like, not get punched in the face anymore once you've reached a certain level. Nick's done it. He was, he was champions in other organizations. He fought the best of the best in the UFC. Sponsorships should be paying him to do, like, seminars and, cons- uh, like, consultations to amateur fighters. And they should be paying him to promote his growth of his gym and put out better fighters from there and not just keep on bleeding and dying for everybody. That's the fucked up part. He's getting money for something he doesn't want to do. And people just want him to go out there and fight. People want to see them to, oh, I just want this war. I mean, that's kind of fucked up, though. All right. So there's, there was going to be a little bit of a cut there. I went, came back. I'm back at it. But I remember where I was. I was talking about how Nick Diaz, it's kind of fucked up, right? That they, they would treat him this way. Not treat him this way, but they, they mostly just want to see him fight and bleed. And that's what I'm getting a lot from a lot of people. And I don't think the fight's going to go this way. People want the bloodbath. People want the classic Nick Diaz brawl. But Nick's a smarter fighter than what people give him credit for. And that's why a lot of people like Nick Diaz is because of his fight IQ. His fight IQ is underrated. I think he's a guy that, had, through this time, he's physically gotten... He's physically healed, gotten better, allowed himself to re to re imagine himself maybe as a different fighter, but kind of hopefully keep the same Nick Diaz presence. He was saying in the interview that it, it was rough watching his brother get sewed up and it made him reevaluate the whole fight game. And does that mean he's gonna go in there and not be the Nick Diaz of let's go brawl? but be the Nick Diaz of the martial artist that he's actually at, is at heart. <clears throat> what I'm hoping for him in this fight is that he goes out there with Robbie Lawler. He sees the weakness in Robbie's ground game. He goats him into this kind of stand-up boxing match that they, everyone thinks is going to happen and in turn takes him down, uses his Gracie Jiu-Jitsu that he's very, very, very good at. I mean, he's a guy that he ground and pounded uh, um, Glace and Tebow. A guy, Khabib had a very hard time even taking down, if I think even took him down once. He ground and pounded Glace and Tebow out in two rounds. He's a smarter fighter than just a Nate D- Nick Diaz brawler. Right, he's got the skills on the ground that I think can really turn the tides in this fight and really give Robbie a hard time. Now, has Robbie gotten better? He's gotten more patient, but then that patience has turned into a lack of aggression and then getting outstriked by RDA and other fighters and kind of becoming a shell of his former self that he had when he was a champion. I think it's easier for Nick to reevaluate and become a better fighter than it is for Robbie to try to find that aggression again that he had as a champion. He was a champ. He was a UFC champ. He lost it. Tried to come back. Did had some good fights. Lost one. Lost one. 
it's been kind of, you know, eh, after. Robbie's my, one of my favorite if, I mean, George obviously is the greatest welterweight for right now, but as far as stories of championships, I love Robbie's. He got cut from the UFC. I'm pretty sure after that Nick fight, he got cut, made a name for himself in a bunch of or, other organizations, came back, beat, lost to, or won a bunch of fights in emphatic fashion, fought Johnny Hendricks for the title, lost, went back, fought again a couple more people, got another title fight with uh, Johnny Hendricks, wrote the mistakes he did in that first one to win the title, wins the title, goes on to have incredible fights with Carlos Condit, Rory McDonald, and then he loses Tyrone Woodley. However, I mean... Regardless of that, the the amount of violence over the years that he's given us and the amount of excitement that he had out of my seats watching him. Um, yeah, it was great. But I think it's starting to be a point where maybe he looks for other... In, uh, man. I mean, it, he's young. I mean, he's, he's still young. Uh, actually, no, he's 39. He's older than Nick. Oh, he's not as young. Yeah. You know what? Like take what I bet I, I wanted to be like hey maybe he he no don't don't hang up the gloves I'm not gonna be like everybody else I mean he's been he, actually you know what maybe maybe it is 40 I mean he's been doing it since he was like 18 mm. eh, you know it's like 20 years of fighting seems like a long time um so I hope Nick Goes about and gives us a cool performance in that way. But uh, Robbie, obviously, he's got the knockout power. He's had enough. His threat is the same as it was in the first fight. Nick's threat has, he's got more versatility in striking. It's just, can he produce fighting in front of a crowd after a five year layoff? I think he can. All right, so moving on to the co main event. Um, This is where I'm supposed to talk up Lauren Murphy on how she can beat Valentina. There's going to be three three key points for Lauren Murphy before I talk about Valentina because let's be honest, everyone, there's not much more to talk about. Three key points are with Crew Perez, first point that's going to be a key to her success, Crew Perez, her coach, and knowing Valentina's game. Valentina has a very specific set of skills, that make her very deadly. Um, no, she's got a very specific like move set. Like she's a video game character, quite literally. She has move set. She double body. She does double underhook, body lock takedowns. She does uh, spinning back fists after straight punches. You know, there's like she's there's things that make her her right. The hopping on the toes, the head kicks, the body kick, body kick, body kick, head kick. Like, there's things that make Valentina Valentina. Her clench work. Lauren, having Crew Perez, a guy who's coached multiple UFC fighters and, you know, um, title contenders as well, being a good MMA coach and one of my, you know, I haven't met him, so I couldn't call him a favorite, but... uh a guy I like watching and I like his fighters and his fightings, what he teaches. Um, I respect him. Uh, him being able to pick up on those tendencies, big, huge key, along with her husband as well. 
Her second key. She's bigger. She's bigger than Valentina. Valentina's struggled with bigger girls. She's not a very big girl herself. She struggled with bigger girls, i.e. Amanda Nunes. Lauren Murphy's not Amanda Nunes, but she has fought at 135 because she was big. And then they made a 125. Like, she couldn't make 115. She didn't fight at 135 because Jessica Andrade fought at 135 because she has power. She fought at 135 because she couldn't make 115. She's fought 135. Not saying that's like a key to victory, but it, or not like the, her biggest key, but getting on top, countering, like reversing the double under. Because God, for God's sake, please, for the love of God, if there's anything, Lauren Murphy, please do not get taken down by that goddamn takedown again. For the love of God, everyone that they put in front of her, it's the same takedown. Like, girls, please, please fight for an underhook. Please. But using her big, using Lauren's size, um, reversing the takedown, getting on top herself, and just winning rounds that way. Keeping the top pressure, staying on top. You know, letting Valentina gas herself by trying to take her down, reversing position. Not like get on the ground in a reverse position, but like as Valentina goes for a takedown, stuff it, get on top, um, take the back that way. You know, just use her size. Uh, like Valentina trying to go for that body lock thing. It's going to be a lot harder. Wizard, like trip takedown. Um, when she tries to go for that body lock, you know, get your own underhook and whatever. You get my point. And then the fourth or the third key to victory, land lucky strike. Just don't be gun shy. Keep your hands up. Um, she trains with one of the best guys at, like, throwing from the fucking hip. And that's Derek Lewis. You kind of just have to channel your inner Derek for this fight. You kind of have to just throw. Throw to get to the clinch. Throw to clinch into her. Get your hands on her. Wear her down. Be a blanket. So that's, that's going to be her keys. It's not, you're just going to have to fight her. There's no, like, to go from a complicated game plan to like simplifying it down to one word. You're going to have to fight her. You're not, you're going to have to be less of a deer in the headlights and just go for it. I think Lauren is that girl. I'm not saying she beats Valentina, but I don't think that um, Valentina's striking is going to deter her and make her hesitant. I don't know if she's the girl to beat Valentina Shevchenko. However, fight odds wise, if you put money on her, it ain't a bad bet. You know? Why not? Why not, guys? Because to, like, go against my own argument, it's a 50-50 fight. Who doesn't want to bet on 50-50? No, but for Valentina, I mean, she just has to Valentina. She's not going to do anything that she's not going to already do. She has the mentality. She's the best in the world. So nothing's going to change that. Everything in her mind is she's doing right. I've learned... I've like I've like thought of something that I think really gives Valentina a mental edge that I I don't think people take into consideration with her with her fight with her fight life and how that helps her. I think her constant nomad lifestyle, her nomad lifestyle, I'm going to articulate that a little bit more so. I'm not mumbling it. Her nomad lifestyle I think helps her. Her traveling from gym to gym helps her being uncomfortable constantly 
you're never in a place that you're comfortable with. I mean, even people that leave their homes to go and train at ATT or wherever, you're leaving your home and you're still going to train at a place that you know. You know where you're going to eat. You know where you're going to stay. You know who you're going to hang out with. It's almost like going away to school. Like, yeah, it's uncomfortable, but there's like a comfort in it. She's completely going off all the time. Living in different places. Don't know where you're going to eat all the time. You kind of just, I mean, obviously it's easier with Google and stuff like that, but you're, your mind's constantly, you know, you're on edge. You're on alert. You're in a new place. You don't know what's going on. You don't, you know, you're, I think that kind of helps her prepare in a way. And obviously she goes to like Tiger and stuff for, you know, when she's, I guess, off camp or whatever. But more often than not, she's traveling. And I think that on itself, it to some people, it's like, It's like a, they would think it's a detriment because you're not, you know, whatever. But people are creatures of comfort. So when you pull her out of it, maybe it brings the best out of her. Um, so, I mean, obviously, Valentina is the favorite. And it's up to you if you want to put your money on that. I mean, there's a chance that she just dances around and hits Lauren Murphy for five rounds and maybe even knocks her out. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know. Her striking is light years ahead of Lauren's, but who knows? All right, so in the main event, um, we got Alexander Volkanovsky versus Brian Ortega. Oh, Brian's only got one loss. He's got a no contest for a PED thing. And then Alexander Volkanovsky's got one loss to a person earlier on in his career when he fought heavier. All right. I got middleweight or something. So there were ultimate fighter coaches. I guess there's bad blood or whatever. I'm not 100% sure. Um, Yeah. I'm not 100% with my conviction on who's going to win this fight or where my prediction lies. I'd like to think Alexander Volkanovsky beat Max Holloway twice on paper. I saw the second fight. It's very... The first one, he clearly won that fight. He leg-kicked the shit out of him. I, I give that one to Volkanovsky. The second one's questionable. Because if there's a 10-8 in there, it makes it very, very, very questionable. Like that first round could be a 10-8 for Max. But regardless, they're close fights. That's how sharp Alexander Volkanovsky's striking is. He made up striking range differential. Like Max's range and how good Max is, even with someone that has reach on him. Calvin Cater had reach on him. He outboxed the shit out of Calvin Cater. He outstruck Calvin Cater, right? And Calvin had reach. Volko fought him on a reach disadvantage and still closed the distance, still landed the shots that he needed to to outpoint Max. So that shows you how sharp Volkanovsky's skills are. Like, reach isn't going to be an issue. And then if you fight someone like Chad Mendes... He'll finish you. 
Brian Ortega has made leaps with his striking. But against who? Korean Zombie. And I'm not going to take away from Korean Zombie because Korean Zombie is a very good striker. I'm pretty sure he won his last fight. Regardless. But you know what Korean Zombie is going to do. He's a forward pressure boxing fighter. You just let him... He won against Danny Inge. That's it. Um, he's going to come forward. It's boxing's crisp. So Brian, and there's a lot of tape on him. So you kind of just, you play to a vet's tape. And, and I'm not saying that Alexander doesn't have a lot of tape on him. Um, but it's very just the way Dom says. Yes, you do, your style works well against forward pressure fighters. That's where Volkanovski's different. He does work with Eugene Behrman with the guys at City Kickboxing. And I've struck with some of the guys that have been there, and their striking is, their understanding of range and everything is something where I, I couldn't just pick it up. It's not something that you can just pick up. You have to go train with them. You have to go live in that gym for a while to understand the complexity and to make it second nature. And you have to be, like, friends with them. Like it, it, Their understanding of it and like their level of striking isn't something that you can just watch an instructional on and figure it the fuck out because it doesn't work that way. It's very timing-based and everything. I think just that on its own is going to cause Brian some trouble, and I don't understand how Brian's going to get in on a takedown. Volkanovski's shorter than he is. He's built like a mule. And then, yes, the submission threat. But, like... Volkanovski, you'd you have to catch him, and that's what you're kind of betting on. With Ortega, you're betting on lightning to strike. With Volkanovski, going back to what I was saying before, if you want to make a clear bet on who's going to win this fight without having to determine, you know, having to like get into in-depth analysis and like really, really think. Like if you wanted to look at it and like surprise your friends probably pick correctly. Volkanovski is most likely going to win this fight because if it goes a decision, Volkanovski is a decision winning fighter. He can win decisions, majority wins decisions, controls fights in order to win decisions because of his control. Obviously, if you would like to finish it, you finish it, but he's got a very good control and patience and that in its turn is very good and breaking down the machine. It doesn't win him immediate fights like, or doesn't win fights immediately but he chops the legs down, goes up top, builds up feints, builds up different looks, and just like all that on top of each other builds for a better five-round fight. There's no luck in his fighting or anything like that. You're not catching anybody. You're feinting and finding holes and then exploiting them. Most people aren't, don't go down on them, but sometimes they do. So that's what we're more at. He's going to go the five rounds. It's okay if it goes the five rounds because he's going to win every single one. Ortega's looking to... Ortega's looking to, like, finish. He's a very, like, the Nate-Nick mentality. The ND mentality. 
ND Army mentality, right? It's great, but when it doesn't work and, like, they're touching you and you can't even get a grip on them, like what happened with Max Holloway, like, it, it backfires bad. Like, you either submit somebody and the wave is huge and you're the next big fucking thing. Or Max Holloway fucking comes in and he's like, you are not good anywhere. Um, and that's where I think Volkanovsky's got a lot more of that fundamental chance to make. And Brian, and Volkanovsky makes a pretty good point. Brian's kind of got yes men in his corner. When I watch The Ultimate Fighter, they're more of yes men. There are a lot of, I don't really personally like them. As far as their coaching style, not a fan. To me, if I started getting coached by those guys and the way that they talk, I'd immediately think charlatans and I would find another gym. Volkanovsky's coach is more my speed. Volkanovsky goes to that crazy warm up that, or the crazy workout that they have, the spider workout, where you simulate five rounds of comp, com, or five rounds of fighting. And at the very end of it, Volkanovsky, I mean, I mean, it's a workout of a lifetime, five minutes or five, 30 minute work, like high intensity workout. I mean, you're blowing out every part of your body. And his coach is like, I give it a six. It's like, that's the kind of coach you want. Nothing's ever good enough for him. I'm not saying in a weird, like, disappointed father way. You just want a guy that you you know he – because you've had the conversation. You know, you have a good relationship. When I see someone that's like, oh, this dude's the fucking bit, it's like because you probably don't go out to dinner. Like, you guys probably don't actually hang out together. Good coaches, like, you know each other. And you have com- real conversations with each other. And, like, they shit talk and, like, no one's the star of the show and no one's some, you know, no one has to worry about whose feelings are getting hurt. Like, his coach is just constantly picking on Volkanovsky. Like, to me, as an athlete, that's the kind of community I'm looking for. I'm not looking for everything to be, like, oh, what's up, dude? Like, I'm fucking, you know, I roll up in this, like, you know, I don't really like the way Ortega has shit like everyone's on his knob and it's kind of weird it is very weird why are you idolizing somebody stop like be real with him you're gonna cause him more danger because like they can get so high and so confident and that Chansung Jung probably boosted his confidence like oh my god I made all the right changes hell yeah but if the holes in the fundamentals are still there Volkanovsky's gonna snipe him So, I'm I'm more I'm gonna side more with the five round person that can win fights at a competitive level. The competition in this takes over the martial arts. Brian Ortega is very martial arts, very fighter. Alexander Volkanovsky is a, a martial artist. He's very competitive, and the competition allows him to. See it for what it is. It's not a fight to the death. 
It is a fight, but it's not a fight to the death. All right. Well, it's a long breakdown. I kind of gave you two parts, but hell yeah. Hope you guys enjoyed this today's. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Hope you guys enjoyed this in-depth analysis. Um, I'll be back next week to break down this fight and talk about the card after that, which is Thiago Santos versus Johnny Walker. Um, other than that, I hope you guys enjoy this weekend. Enjoy the fights. Stay safe. Remember, SunscrapNation.com. SunscrapNation. SunscrapNation.com for anything else. If you need anything else, SunscrapNation.com. Thank you, guys. Enjoy. Stay safe. Peace.